was my Peggy Mitchell, if anyone didn't get it, really. You know, I thought it was yeah, no. not going to win an Oscar for that. I'll blame, I'll blame the paralysed face. You know, she's my Alma Fudd at the moment. So Get my pub! <laughs> yeah, there you go, you see. There you go. That's another one. Right, OK. Um, welcome, everybody, to um, Agency Meets In-House Relationship Clarity. Um, another members only production and part of the New Dawn series, bringing together recruitment agency leaders, um, and in this instance, recruitment agency leaders and in-house leaders, um, to whom we shall get to in a mo. Um, the purpose of this webinar is really to help bridge some gaps and perhaps build better relationships between uh, two parties, all striving for the same goal, which of course is, um, is a fantastic candidate journey. I think, um, I don't think, I know, there's a lot of conjecture surrounding the, um, the relationship between the two entities, but I think it's really, really important that we have at the hub of this um, what is the most important, and that is the candidate. Um, so we've got together a panel here, uh, many of whom you will have known or you'll have seen or certainly heard of, um, representing both the agency and the in-house side. Um, I'm going to be coordinating any questions from you guys, the participants. Um, so if you've got any questions you want to ask at any point, don't need to wait until the end. Just stick those through in the chat and I'll coordinate those. Jim Beresford um, is going to be um, coordinating the, um, the, uh, sort of the, the panel. Um, on whom we have um, Elizabeth Lemp, uh, Chief Talent Navigator and consultant in the people and culture area. Uh, give a big wave, Elizabeth. Representing in-house. Uh, we've got Akbar uh, Karenga, talent coach, recruitment manager and tech talent advisor. Um, also representing in-house. Um, on the agency side, we have Janine Owen, uh, XMD of CERT, multi-sector uh, recruitment agency search consultancy, and Rohan Shah, um, MD of... <laughs> of uh, recruitment agency Ruben Sinclair. So uh, Rohan has a prop with him, which I think um, will Akbar will like. If you want to quickly show that, that would be well, fantastic. I think, I think I think I think Akbar's calling for it. By the sound, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it sounds like an episode of Gladiators. Yeah, no. you, you know, in house, you'll go on my first whistle. Agency, you'll go on my second whistle. Yeah, that, that's a terrible impression, but yeah. Okay, well, listen, um, without further ado, I'm going to pass you over to Jim Beresford, CCO of Talent Acquisition Software Company Resumo, and also co host of R Circle. So, Jim, if you want to give a brief background as to why we're all here um, and you know, a little bit about what we discussed, open the questions up um, to the panel. We're going to be here for, we've certainly scheduled an hour, but an hour and a half it might stretch into for those that can hang on in there, uh, because we do expect a little bit of uh, a feistiest bit of conjecture, but primarily at the end of this, we want people's perceptions to be very, very positive that we can actually forge um, tangible, meaningful relationships between each other. That is the goal. Um, over to you, Jim. Thank you, Simon. Um, thanks, everyone. Rowan, Janine, Elizabeth. And Akbar. Um, and Akbar, actually, you just come up as Jim Barrister on there as well. That's great. I love the even signing as myself. Double gang there. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, ev everyone, panelists and, and uh, participants, thank you all for joining. So it is about getting everyone together in a room. Simon and I discussed actually doing this live, uh, and we did joke about having it in a boxing ring. Um, but is that the perception? Is that the feeling? You, you know, is there love in the room? Is there mistrust is there a misunderstanding so hopefully we'll run through a number of questions 
um, that have been put, and I'm going to put them forward to, to, to the panelists between yourself and Simon. And what we'll then do is have a, a bit of an idea of what people's thoughts are at the end. So given the time, uh, we really want to run through this. We, we've got an hour slot. Uh, we've got a number of questions to go through, so I'll try and keep things moving forward in typical uh, sort of panel show style. Um, but I'm going to kick it off, and I, I'm going to kick this off to, to Akbar, and I think probably Rowan as well will come into this as well. So the first question we really want to chat about is how we really in-house see third-party suppliers. Now let's, let's just do this in three, what your three first words you think of. And I think what would be really good is maybe we re revisit this at the end to see what your thoughts are at the end, or everyone's thoughts are. So Akbar, what, what could you say in the three words that you, you feel about third-party suppliers? Um, well, I spent two years on the agency side myself, so uh, there's always a bit of love. And um, three words would be spray and pray. <laughs> Nice, nice. We like that. So, 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 Rohan, yeah, come, come on, come, come back. So, how do you really see in-house recruiters? Look, I think before, before I do say this, one thing I will say is, no matter what is said, I think there is always a genuine love and a mutual appreciation for the work that we all do because it's it's bloody tough. So, I think we all get that. Um, but if I have to choose three words, um, <laughs> uh, well, I, I certainly think there's an element of competition. Uh, that's how it's certainly seen from, from, from an agency side. Whilst this isn't a, a word, it's a phrase, I think it kind of sums things up. It, it almost feels like a barrier to entry. Um, it's a real blocker. Um, and I think the third one, something, more, something on the positive side is... Uh, Sometimes at best, it can be seen as an ally um, rather than a real partnership sometimes. Um, and I think, you know, I've tried to look at these words, not just from my own perspective, but by asking other people around me as well. Um, and, that, and that's where these have come from. Perfect. And, and let's say there's still some bit of love at the end or there's more love or less love by the time we go through the rest of these, really, guys. So, excellent. Thank you. So let's, let's jump straight in because of, of the time that we've got here. So uh, to fill this out to the in-house side, first of all, um, communication and, you know, what works and what doesn't work. Simon, did that come from, just to clarify a little bit more detail on that, are we, are we talking about what works for asking people in third-party suppliers and agencies what, what what's the best communication for them to, to talk to us and, and don't say not at all no 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 so that, that came out from uh, so all the questions we got we're going to go through that came out from the from uh, from my network so the communication bit and i, I appreciate these are probably subjective in many regards um, um at barn elizabeth but i think this is really about and the frustration that recruiters find when actually trying to get in touch with people and how they really want to be communicated with. And also to the broader element um, is the communication with line and the actual hiring managers. And why is that quite often not allowed to get information from, from those people? And I think just the lines of communication seem to be um, a little bit blurred. So I suppose the real question is, how is it best to communicate uh, with from an agency perspective, what what is expected, um, and what's not going to be a challenge? Uh, Elizabeth, would you like to take the first part? 
It's interesting because I think, you know, for me, I was going back to, you know, what were those those words? And I'd say there's a difference between a car salesman and, a, you know, kind of a Yenta matchmaker. And so, the, you know, we can only be as good as the communication and the relationship as to what is the intake, as to do you really understand what the role is and how it will grow? And I think either it doesn't matter if you're in-house or agency, if you don't have that good understanding of what, what that is, you're going to either be a KPI chaser or you're going to actually get a person who's going to be impactful for the role. So I think, I think that that's, that's a common, I don't think there's any difference there. So the question, um, sorry, can I hear it again? The communication, what, what, what works best? How, how's best to get a hold of you? So I'm sat now on an agency side. How, how, how can I get hold of the gatekeeper, the, you know, the, the ally that we want to have and, and, you know, the barrier to entry that we're finding that Rowan was saying and that, those three words. How can we get hold of you? What's the best way? Email, phone, knock on your door, send a message, cakes? Hello, talent. <laughs> Hello, talent. So I think if you have... I think at first, again, it goes back to rapport. So here, do you have a telephone call? Do you have an actual intake with whoever is hiring? Do you have an actual conversation rather than just email or electronic? Do you really understand what the position is? Because otherwise there's going to be a lot of feed forward and feedback loops that, that make for a long process. So I think the, the best way is to actually have a conversation after you have the, the request as to what are what is the company looking for. Um, from my perspective, call me. Um, I did a little, um, uh, let's say, my mobile has been on my LinkedIn summary for the last year and a half. Mm. And I flipped that there. And so I like to see, back in agency days, it would be like, if you have a number, you call and you reach out. Yeah. I, in the last year and a half, I've had two sales calls. Yeah. And at the same time, I've had people engage with me on LinkedIn in mail or email and then do the to and the fro and break up with me because I haven't responded after the third. I'm yep. just checking that you have, you checked this or you saw that. It's like, save yourself. Some of them is really personalized, really meaty, but then it's like, I, not, my internet works. You've seen I've posted on LinkedIn. So my, so I'm good. I got that message. There was no, there was no like, follow through and then it's like well I guess you're not interested if you are so you've just literally sold yourself out of the sale in email and you're spending time sending me letters basically um, so, so, so yeah so that, that's the thing and I, I many people actually I think might be um a little bit surprised to hear that because you know I've been in recruitment for long enough to know that if there's a number to be called call it right but I do uh, there, there tends to be a little bit of a, a shift where the, the the standard and first port of call is email um, and these days of course in mails and I don't know if it's pressure because you're spending a fortune on it on, on LinkedIn or not but nonetheless what you're saying is actually you prefer a call and you probably respect that call more would you? Completely so as of right now I have 2,748 emails I don't need any more um, so, so, and that's just from that's just from me on the vendor side they, that's <laughs> of, but then it, it's that, hey how are you doing this is who I am because if you can present yourself in a quick elevator pitch that's what you're going to be taking to my candidate potentially yeah and if it's like if I, how can I trust you to source if my direct dial is literally right there yeah 
Yeah. Is that yeah. common though? I don't know how common it is to find that direct line on LinkedIn. Like I 100% agree if it's there, pick up the phone and call it first. But I don't know whether you're common in the, in the in-house sort of talent acquisition arena. Yeah, I suppose yeah, I, that is a very personal... Uh, okay, maybe let's see my colleagues. Um, so we're a team of like three, four um, in-house people. Um, I would say that they don't put their mobile number on their LinkedIn's, but if they do get that buzz or if it's something that's not his, my attached um, terms and conditions and an overview of somebody's CV who's a Python dev, I think... Um, the more personal, the more direct, the better. Mm -hmm. um, no is a great answer. Really chase that in terms of communication, where it's like, oh, you don't want this. Like you're, you're building a relationship one way through unresponded emails. Maybe there's a KPI attached to it. That is, how many did you send? What was your outreach? What was your mail shot number? I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. And I, I think what Sorry, what you mentioned there, Jim, is quite um, it's quite important, I think. And and thanks, Akbar, for that. I, mean, I think um, Janine's point there, which is you know, don't know how common it is for someone to have the mobile, is po is possibly true. Um, but then, if you haven't got the number, uh, your mobile number, you can contact the you know the switchboard, whatever. But then you get Jim to the to the to the gatekeeper, right? So, is it though? Phone call first if you can't get through email. Um, or is it email? Or are you just saying outright, Akbar, forget about the email? Is it, even if your mobile wasn't there, you'd still prefer someone to phone the, the, the cool. company line? Cool. By definition, you'll be more, you'll be more special. Yeah. It's, exactly. It sounds like a USP. Yeah. It's, uh, it, just do something that is different for my workday. Yeah. Um, between said number of colleagues, automated emails, everything I've signed up for, my EasyJet flight alert, all of a sudden, that's the email that exists. Just don't do that. <laughs> I think there's a really important thing as well. I, I, I know that, that having sat on the in-house side is time and, and getting the call. I like you. I, I've had my mobile number on that profile because if you're not connected to someone, you can't see all the details. So have, you know, it's, it's, I think recruiters have, it's, it's, it's a simple little thread. Follow Andy Foote that does lots of little bits of LinkedIn tips and he'll tell you that as well. But, you know, Tell me something I don't already know in the agency arena, especially somebody like Akbar ourselves who, who have been on both sides. If you see someone's profile has been on an agency, don't describe what the agency is and we've got a database full of people. You know, you don't have a lot of time to make that relationship quick, you know, and that's maybe why people put in an email. Maybe they want to explain a lot in an email and, and you're right, there's so many emails come through, it's just crazy. Maybe crazy. I'd say related to this would be, so what is the object of the email is never to inform. Like that, that first message, it should not be like this big meaty essay that describes very similar types of value propositions. That, that first initial hello, like if I go to a bar and I meet somebody I'm attracted to, how are you doing? Where are you from? And then the larger conversation happens. Mm. I don't slide across my CV uh, <laughs> in, in, in that bar there. So that, so, that, so, so that first outreach is literally get my attention, and let's get the conversation started. It doesn't have to be long. Well, I was going to, so I think they're, they're really interesting points. And I think just following on from what Janine said, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think you're common. I think it's a great approach. I don't think um, necessarily all internal recruiters would take the same, would take the same view. 
if if you were to go back into agency side recruitment how would you approach the initial contact on a regular basis what would be your mo uh, how would you approach it day in day out um so i'm from like the old school s3 like what's your day plan uh what are your call times what's your outbound um so it was literally like hunt for numbers um stripping cvs who was involved with who and um a key one is i'd say what my old boss was really good at he was just like a sap specialist that's all he lived in so anything that changed on the bi side with um kimba he'd be on it and that'd be his first outreach call just did you hear about blah 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 and just talk tech with the direct software engineering manager um it isn't talk about i have i know somebody's really interesting he never talks about cvs um like uh jamie wilkinson he was always talking about they know people already there is a profile cv sitting out there but then it's the you only hire people because something is happening in the business it's investing in something um so that other conversation um classic uh, you talked about perceptions of people on both sides maybe a lot of in-house recruiters are failed agency recruiters that might be a, a, a standing joke that potentially happens there so um saying you know you've been on my side before um let's just talk as if you were earlier in your career yeah and yeah elizabeth would you take a similar approach then you phone yeah. them up and have that approach so I just wanted to weigh in. So I was working for a company. So I was director of HR and global talent. And we had one single recruiter for 22,000 employees. And we had five LinkedIn seats. So this piece around, um, we had five preferred suppliers for the upper um, director and VP and plant managers. Um, and it was always that piece as to it had to be personal. So it was very hard to get in. We did have like for operations, et cetera, we did have a couple of preferred supplier contracts, but it was always personal. So I completely agree with Akbar. It was this piece to say, what's going on in our industry? Do you know this particular job? And how do you introduce yourself? Um, not as a car salesman, but really working to understand what is our particular challenge? What are we trying to accomplish? And not only what is the job today, but how is it going to grow? Because we were very interested in creating um, good close relationships because we didn't have an in-house um, recruiting portion of our business because that was part of our HR generalist or here, talent director, that was our job. And so this is a piece is we really wanted that close tie in if we were going to take um, someone in as, as a support because it's so vague. It's so vague to be very honest. There's a lot out there in terms of really great agencies and it's hard to know and it's hard to differentiate. But if I'm able to have a real conversation where I feel like I'm understood and that we do those check-ins, then I'm happy and then we're, we're using each other. I think, that's I think pick, picking up, sorry, Janine, just picking up on um, on Akbar's point there, which I think will resonate certainly with, um, you know, with, with Rohan and, and Janine, where it comes to the agency side, what you're suggesting there is your, your, your ex-boss talk about tech. I mean, it's been a long-standing thing with an agency go as niche as you can, right? But what you're saying, basically, is you can have a conversation about what it is you're looking to, the, mm -hmm. the area that you're, you're hiring in, as opposed to generic recruitment based yep. thing. that's what that's what's going to get you going right exactly talk to me specifics <laughs> 
in terms of, you know, what do you, what do you do and how do you approach and, you know, um, what is it that drives you? And because um, at my former company, we were looking for permanent hires constantly, even for operators. It was, you know, you're, we were hiring for the job today and tomorrow. So that was a philosophy. Um, and of course, there's going to be different companies. But if that's the philosophy of the company, we're also going to be doing very differently with in-house and agency recruiters as to, you know, at least midterm hires. Okay, great. Did you have a point there, Janine? Uh, or has that been covered now? I think it was not dissimilar to yours. I think it... Mm -hmm easier to come in from a skill set especially if you're a niche recruiter than it is from from the outside in to know the in-depth elements of the role and the in-depth that the best partnerships are formed when that's you know part and parcel of the conversation when you're already in i think mm. uh, it's difficult from the outside to have all of that information to be able to make that impact but of course on the skill set you can mm. yeah i think also on that when you are trying to get to understand uh, from the very first phone call is very much look what is it that you actually want just, just tell us what you want and ultimately it's look we want to create some partnership but it can't just happen like that you know we've got to it's going to take time and so there's got to be a starting point and I think um, coming back to the point around the lack of cold calling from from recruiters maybe and why it's all emails I think there was a point where it was all cold calls and they were shut down consistently um, and to a certain degree still are not interested we've got a PSL so we're not interested here from you I've got a candidate I don't care uh, we, we don't we don't need them we've got our own candidates so it became quite I would say uh, demoralizing for a number of people it almost felt like a waste of time and so I think it then transferred from and obviously we see everything online saying social it's all about social selling now blah 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 cold calling is mm -hmm. dead and so I think there's an element of the recruiters that have taken that upon them to go, well, actually, I don't want to waste time cold calling because people don't like it, the rejection, etc. I'll do the social mm -hmm. setting, I'll do the email part of it. And now it certainly seems, from what I've heard today, is that it's a role reversal. I've got too, I'm getting too many emails, I'd rather a phone call because I'm a little bit lonely now. I, I want to speak to someone. Um, but if that's the case, then I think that that's a really good insight for us to take away back to, back to the desks. Yeah. Um, I, I'll give an example of Mortimer Spinks, what they're called Spinks now. And um, their whole play is that they have kind of co-opted meetup groups around certain tech stacks. So yeah. mm -hmm. a Drupal meetup group uh, a, and then one about DNI and diversity. Mm -hmm. And so social selling is something that is deep and it's something that is super strategic, like how they've done there. Or you even get amazing content writers who just only write to a candidate audience and then they pick up and they follow um, those initial people who like and comment on posts. So social selling builds your top of the funnel. Who am I meant to be speaking to? But essentially that first outreach should be, I think, as quick and as personal as possible. It could even be like, just do two tabs, two tabs. So their profile, company profile, everyone's got a, a, the blog post. Just scroll down and just talk about the third blog post on their company website and mention one thing on their LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Hey, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's what we used to do on agency side, just be split screen and it's be your CRM there. And it's still cookie cutter. It's still mm -hmm. scalable. It's still going to make sure that you can drive some outbound energy and activity, but there's, it's, it's, a, it's less, I have a great database. I have a good candidate. And then that same call again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That personalization is key, isn't it? That that whether you're calling or whether you're emailing or whether you're doing it, doing your social mm -hmm. selling, 
the personalization element is is hugely important so it isn't spray or pray yeah. <laughs> yeah. i want to emphasize that in-house people we don't deserve to have this silver service um white glove at the very beginning you've got to know everything about us because we ain't earned the rights and number one you're there to make money as well so mm. anyway you, you you can hack a bit of rapport a bit mm. of context um mm. it's got to be win-win uh, if you have, if you feel like you're chasing you're giving you're giving you can you, uh, the other person on the other side of the phone they can potentially tell that as well yeah yeah and i think that's refreshing to hear and the guys that are, are listening in now i'm sure like okay great so what you said there but hopefully um represents majority of um of uh you know the, the in-house fraternity there but it comes then down to the service doesn't it and i think that's quite a nice little segue into the next part jim um, yeah where, can i can i I was going to say, so I'm just going to say, uh, Michael had put a note there about actually sending a letter in the post. The one thing I've got to stress, guys, is, you know, the amount of recruitment tools at your disposal, from the phone to the email to post to putting a letter in the post. Everybody's different. Not everyone's going to be acting by with a telephone number on there to, to have a call. And yes, if you're calling, it can be difficult to get through to people. It, it, it's all part of the mix. Your social selling to create awareness. So when you do get on the phone, you get out there and send the letter. You know, everyone's got different approaches. It's like your candidates, different methods. You can be on Facebook. You can be, you know, uh, you know, WhatsApp groups as meetup groups. That's the challenge as recruiters. The role is is to do as many of those as possible to understand that line of communication. Sorry, Simon, you, you're going. No, no, I, I just pick you up as a, you know, as a nice intro into the service bit, because at the moment we've got that. If you need to, you can talk specifically about, you know, the area that you're recruiting in, not just about recruitment's, uh, you know, process. That's going to be a, that's a winner. So I've heard some, you know, stories come out over the last few months from in-house recruiters, uh, certainly not those present on, the, on this, um, panel today of right this is a brilliant opportunity for us to screw down rates from from agencies um and basically because they're going to need the, the need the cash not paraphrase i should or that is paraphrase i should say but it's quite disturbing if that is in any way uh, indicative of the truth because the fact is is that um i think recruitment agencies know that the service needs to be changed and there are different subjective to the businesses but Really, the key question is if, if we're as or sorry, if agencies are looking to hold their fees, whatever those fees might be, what services do they need to provide that would make you guys go, that's worth paying for? To take outside that, you know, the, the, the brood dog comment, take outside the spray and pray, take those as, as you know, anomalies for the purpose of the conversation. What services are value add? What, what should agencies be looking at to go, that's why we're charging that? Isabel? No. Oh. I think, you know, here it's that industry knowledge and that sector knowledge. It's, I think one of the benefits of really having a really good agency recruiter um, who really is very knowledgeable cross-business-wise um, knows what's going on and I can really leverage them in a, in a good way and we build a rapport and that's something that as in-house, I won't be able to have that, that particular same reach. So that industry knowledge and those networks and where it's not transactional relationships, but the talents actually want to talk to you. <laughs> okay. um, that's a good one. Well, um, my one, I'd probably say, mm -hmm. so if you were to look at your funnel of candidates coming in as an agency mm -hmm. and just Google analytics it and go, okay, how many people have applied this month compared to last year? Where are they from? What are their rough ages, their genders? 
that data insight piece is amazing. So mm -hmm. I've noticed that, blah, 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 year on year. It's actually one of the things that I think job boards had a massive monopoly on in terms of information and they never used it. So if data is a new oil, I hate using that title word, but just, just literally say like, I've noticed, give me trends, um, give me um, stated salary figures. What have you seen? Don't wait until January and do that, um, that big, lovely PDF report. Just hack it automatically. Uh, get something. You can use BI tools like Looker. Um, you can look at session histories with Smart Lookup or Hotjar. Give me that insight about where the candidates are coming from. That is one there. Um, and then about candidates are willing to, to speak to you. Um, I used Sphinx as an example where I could do what Sphinx are doing, but then that would mean that I've taken eight hours out of my week to do that. So do you have a community? Do you have something formal that I can literally say, this is who you speak to that I can't touch? Um, would be um, how, how you pres uh, position that, that doesn't talk about your who's on your CRM, or uh, I, I think is an interesting play there. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really like people who can potentially predict need. So um, every good um, MD of a recruitment business is like, I'm going to expect that this business is going to drop off. Here are my usual close rates for my uh, consultants. Do the same and say, I'm going to expect January is going to be super quiet. Help me predict and coach my hiring managers uh, because you're going to be speaking to way more candidates than me over the course of a year. Picking, picking up on that, Akbar, the, 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 the point you're saying there, I'm just noticing the, the, the conversation because you're under Jim Burst as well. There's lots of things on it. I think, did I write that? Um, I think the, the, the real valid point there is comes down is the, the question is really, you know, what services are you going to pay agencies to do? And agencies asking, what services are you going to pay me to do? And, and, and I know the value and the amount of skills that agencies have. And there are so many different levels. And I'm, every in-house team, as, as Elizabeth was saying, is going to be different. There are going to be different people in different teams with different needs. It's understanding this is the in-house team and, and this is what they have and these are the gaps. This is you as the agency recruiters, excuse my hands as analogies here flying around the place, but these are the skills you have, your search, your data, you know, your whatever elements that you have, the communities you build, you know, instead of the word database, but yeah, database might come into play for it for things. Your reach to jobs, your reach through other networks, all these wealth of skills, you need to understand what gaps people have in-house, I feel, and what gaps they will pay you to fill, exactly as you said, Akbar. Is it, where's the value? You doing that takes so much time, or do you go to one of your trusted partners? Because I'm going to come back on Elizabeth's uh, PSL point in a minute. Um, that lovely word, PSL. But anyway, so, yeah. I just want to throw this out there, and I think those are really, yeah, again, those are really good points, and I think all really valid from both Elizabeth and, and Akbar. But you mentioned obviously that phrase, you know, data is the new like oil and gas type thing. But so if we are giving that information, do we get, will we get paid for it? What's the view on that? Because we're in this industry where everything we do is for free, ultimately, until the point of a candidate starting. So at what point do we get paid for this relevant data? At what point do we get paid for all this information that we are imparting, apart from just having a, a consultation of what you might be looking for in a partner? 
How much would you sell it for? Well, it depends, obviously, what you're looking for. <laughs> no, no, no. I would say, again, that classic, never say the first number. But then uh, it, it could literally be like, we've seen in other, imagine this is just another SaaS, uh, a, a SaaS tool that you're going to sell as an agency. Are you going to do a subscription? Is it going to be one time? Put a number on it and th then see if, if people buy, great. You just basically download a report that your marketing manager already owns and then play around with it. Um, I've in my portfolio, 154 startups. If they wanted to re release a new product line, they'll play around with it. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's a good question. That would mean different things to different size businesses. Um, you could even, let's say, add another bell and whistle. So this is what your competition is doing, um, comparable to you. This is yeah. how many hires we made in, let's say, law firms. Golden, uh, Golden Circle law firms. Uh, we've taken your numbers out of it. This is how many candidates, this is how many placements we made. I'm not going to tell you where and who. Um, can this get us um, a meeting? So even you said, actually, what are we willing to pay? Does it have to be cash? Does it have to be, okay, fine. Now we're going to have an, uh, we're going to have an hour meeting next week and I need to see the head of talent and you uh, on that. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Mm. Very good. That's, a point. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way of looking at it, isn't it? It doesn't have to be cash. It, it, it's, it's an inroad in, isn't it? It's a, it's a, but well, it's a buying signal, basically, if you're going to be organised at a meeting offer, which I think um, would be a great way. And what do you think about that, Rohan? Yeah, I think, I think it's absolutely a valid point. I think, you know, um, it's really important that, you know, partnership is, is two ways, isn't it? And I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, if we can find a way to say, well, look, we're more than happy to give all of our information or X, Y, Z information. And in return, you know, we're able to get access to whatever without a cash payment. And that's absolutely fine. I think that's a, that's a great point. I think it's just gets to the point where it becomes spray and pray or it become when, when everything becomes very transactional. And, and I think when it becomes transactional, that's where people start to lose interest. They don't provide a proper service. Um, and I think what we've just talked about there will allow for a proper service and to eliminate that, that transactional approach. And I think that, that works really well. Mm. Grown up conversations and having those real grown and succinct, direct conversations at the start. Yeah. So Simon, we, 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 we mentioned the word PSL or Elizabeth mentioned the word PSL there and, and these, these are great chats, but I know that's something uh, I have never liked um, personally, you know, what, what are our thoughts on PSLs going forward? And I know there's chat in, in, in the sidebar here going on about other questions. So we will we'll come back to people's questions here. There's a, there's a lot of chat. But on the thoughts of PSL, you know, from your side, Rowan and, and, and Janine, what, what do you think of PSLs? What, what's the thoughts there? And, and we'll reflect that back as well. I, I, um, I think it comes back to the same points we've already been making. It depends on the quality of the relationships within the PSL. So, you know, the same, all the same rules apply. So if you have got genuine partnership that works as a two-way street within a PSL, whether you're you know, whether you're one of three or one of 10, that also has a factor, a bearing on it. But it is about availability of um, relationships and, and ability to build them. And also, I think the line manager's um, empathy and, and desire to build those relationships, because sometimes you can join a PSL that looks good at the outset. And in reality, 
they only want to deal with the same one person they've always dealt with and you're never going to get any traction from there so um i think it all comes down to that that build of relationships and that openness of communication yeah i, I would i would i would agree with that i think you know for, for me psls are part of what makes it quite a transactional approach you suddenly realize that there are five other recruiters on that psl when you're working on one vacancy all of a sudden you lose interest you suddenly realize that actually people are on different fee arrangements um maybe you're on the least or or you're on more and it just doesn't feel right for whatever reason uh, again that makes it very transactional i think also psl's stop an agile approach um you might have a great candidate um sorry we've got a psl when they're working exclusively with me they really want to work for your organization i'm really sorry we have a psl it becomes very process driven and again just makes the whole thing seem quite transactional um i think you know, some PSLs can work really well. I think the other thing that I find doesn't work well with PSLs when they do multiple recruiter briefings, you can find that you're the one asking the questions for other recruiters and they're getting all that info and it just is painful. Um, so all of these things make it very transactional and all of a sudden you lose interest in just what that partnership should have been about from the very beginning. Um, so, you know, I'd say do away with them. <laughs> well you're not you're not you're not you're, you're not you're not you're not supplying widgets or stationery you know that kind of thing you know it's, it is a partnership and it's it's funny to understand on both sides elizabeth yourself you, you work some big organizations that psl and going back to what simon says is that part of that perception and your perception obviously is that transactional bit which is really valid as, as, as people understanding that but is that a way to dry things down do you think do you think that is where people are putting put them on a pick yourself drive it down to 10 percent is that the the okay. way it's done it's, Isabel, it's, please um so um i think one of the I don't think it has to be transactional. Yes, it is, um, you know, it certainly comes in from purchasing and supply chain, but this is also where as HR, this is one of our core responsibilities to say, okay, who are we having help us with our talent acquisition? And to say, okay, is it really a win-win agreement and how are we going to use it and how are we communicating it internally as to what this preferred supplier agreement really entails and how we want to work it. And so this piece around how do we actually have recruiter briefings that you don't feel like you're being um, squeezed out uh, in terms of what, what awesome question from that other recruiter, but to say, okay, how are we really growing it together to say, what is our talent pipeline? And I also see it um, as my role, former role as, <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't see in-house, I don't see external. I see this piece to say, we have to look at what's the best fit for the role. So as we're looking at, um, so I look at the internal pipeline as to who do we have in succession plan? What are those pieces? So having those conversations together with recruiters um, through a preferred supplier contract also helps me with the, the transparency um, within those relationships that I'm not supposed to have outside. So I can't be saying, you know, here we have this awesome candidate, bring me in another awesome candidate from the outside, who's gonna win? So, but that's that's what it goes down to is who who is that best fit for that right fit role? Um, so looking at the internal pipeline and the external pipeline with very trusted uh, advisors in terms of um, who we have as our preferred suppliers. So it's it's that piece of, um, I'm, I'm totally with you around what is that depth, what is that transactionalism, and it's not necessarily always about pushing down the prices, it is also about how do we have a good 
awareness as to what's going on within the industry and within this particular talent pool that we're not only looking internally and conversely that we're not only looking externally. And the industry knowledge that you have is brilliant in terms of that's how we can leverage it in terms of it's not just can you get paid for it, it's how can it be brought into our relationship um, so that it really is the overall benefit, of course, for the organization, because that's my role as an in-house to make sure that we have the best talent pipeline and that they're integrated into our teams as best as possible. And you can only be as successful to bring in the, I like to say the values fit, culture add impact forward types of candidates that I know, okay, it's not only going to be just filling a wreck, it's going to be someone who's going to be bringing a contribution to the organization longer term. Okay. Okay, um, my, it's going to be a little bit controversial. Mm. Um, PSLs were set up when HR and talent lost their argument with their own FD. <laughs> and then, so if they can't win their own budget internally, why are we playing that game from the outside in with the larger politics piece? Uh, essentially put, there is no PSL for the tables and chairs in an office or the pens for the most part so it's an fd who's won that conversation has viewed what talent is for the organization on the same level so get on psls to get that logo to say you work with them but the vast majority of your energy and time should not be focused like we used to class a jobs b jobs and c jobs in terms of commitment quality and likely to fill psl should always never be an a job for all the problems that we described there. Um, that means just go lower down the food chain. People who don't recruit as much or have not set in place PSLs, I would say I'd actively avoid them. And we try and instill in us because it's not agile enough. When do we review it? Um, what is important? Is it a fair RFP policy uh, process to see everyone in? Is that a good use of my time, my FD time to say, okay, now we've got them approved. There is one important compliance piece, which I think Isabel put to where you need to have candidate ownership and in terms of the source, something clear in a report saying this came from here and converts at this ratio. So if, if it's like the PSL could be, um, you need to have stated rates, um, you need to have, this is the API, this is what you need to log into when you submit candidates and maybe you've got an anonymization thing on top of the funnel. That's what it should be for. And this is me coming from my side when I should be saying PSLs are great. They save me time. I, no. If I was an agency recruiter right now, I would not be trying to kill myself to go through this horse and pony show that is a PSL. Yeah. Because they're never... I quote, can I quote that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, completely. Uh, so we've set up HR-centric startups in the SaaS space, and then we've looked at what is their sales procedures like. They're selling into L&D, they're selling into HR. If there's something like this, if there's a big ticket, high like process, um, process, do it, get the logo, expect very little billings on that for the energy that you're going to put in. Yeah, and there's a point here uh, which um, which Tina's made, which backs up your point, Rohan, and subsequently um, backs up yours as well, Akbar, um, where, you know, our, our PSL is basically designed for the people who are going to be there uh, putting the, you know, 
the cheapest fees. Um, and subsequently, Rohan, someone like yourself and, and Janine and other you know, guys who know their industry, just giving away free information to what actually is their, their, their competitors, um, maybe. So um, it's a horse and pony show. And do away with them entirely, I think, Rohan, was your, was your expression. So if we're all mutually agreed by that. <laughs> no, no, no. Let, they're fantastic because they let you decide who's on your BD list. They let you decide who would you be sending your candidates to. Mm. Yeah. So right now, I would send my top guys as much as possible to situations where I can control. And then let the guys with bad processes, bad PSLs, not get the candidates and die. You don't deserve, you don't deserve to feed a machine that mm. the only person happy about a PSO in a very large organization is the FD and the head of procurement. They're not involved in recruiting. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, that, that comes nicely onto retained business to jump in there, Jim, before you probably were about to mention it because they're, they're sort of, you know, I guess what everybody wants really, take outside the values of contingency, because we all know that. If you talk about retained or project work, which I think knowing for the recruiters that I speak with every day in our network is where people are trying to get to. Many people know how to do it and they're very good at it. Some people know they need to do it but don't know how. But take outside the intricacies of getting to that place. As in-house recruiters, um, is there a hesitancy, a hesitancy around that project work giving one assignment to an organisation, or multiple assignments, in fact, to organisations. Is there wider hesitancy if there is one? Um, and surely that's the best way to forge a tangible, meaningful relationship, isn't it? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so for, for us, it was then that's how it worked. It was really a one-off. We did mainly one-off projects and really to get that relationship so that it was then understood where we really looking for. So yeah, I agree We, you know, here you have the preferred supplier, but if you're go doing project work, that's the best where you can really get an understanding of where is it going and how will this role develop and what kind of competencies are we looking for. Okay, um, me or mine, so retain search as a space on both spec the two extreme spectrums. Mass volume recruitment that has clear break clause and mm. KPIs or super niche at the top end we're actually uh, at the senior level where I want to take the politics outside of a complicated hire. So I once hired for a head of country role and mm -hmm. it's like, we didn't want to promote one person. And then we knew that it was going to be super difficult anyway. Mm -hmm. Best way that what it was going to be an internal horse and pony show until this person was it. So we're like, okay, cool. L give me the space and the political capital to say, it's on retained. We've got a headhunter on it. Um, wish you all the best. Um, so th that's one there. Um, but then in the stuff in the middle, why would we pay for something that we haven't seen the value of yet? I would just Google has won the argument regarding what it means by cost per click. Your marketing team works on it. Weird enough, we're kind of a placement is a lagging indicator. If there was a one way where we could sell recruitment, like a marketing piece where number of interviews, number of, uh, of applicants, number of offers, break it down like that is literally what the vast majority of any business, if you look at the FD that we really hate, what are they absolutely stamping budgets on? It is performance-based marketing. 
mm-hmm. is performance-based services. They will only see it come on their black on their bottom line if something has been won by the business. So I would say go away from retained if you're trying to work in the middle. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably question that um, on the basis that um, if retained allows you to get the same outcome but for cheaper, why wouldn't you do it? There is you, you, the very powerful word you said there, if. Um, if it does work out. Um, where is the promise um, that it, it tell me when it works? When is a very interesting word compared to if. So, so um, when it works out, why would you? I'm not saying that to be facetious. Like, um, so we've looked at our stats across the board, and um, we really started to go heavy on retained about four years ago. And for a good three years, we had a hundred percent fill rate on every single retained role that we had. Uh, there's only been two vacancies in the last year where we didn't deliver the first time, but they came back. We allowed them to do it the second time around and we filled those vacancies. Now, that, that fill rate in comparison to our contingency search, which typically is one in four, is like, it's unbelievable. And so actually, you're, what, what's typically happening is companies are paying 20, 25% to fill one in four vacancies. We have to charge that amount because for the other three, we don't fill, it's free work. Mm-hmm. And so a company paying 20% is paying for the other three that we didn't fill. Yeah. If you paid us on a retain for the middle level roles as well as everything else, it could actually work out that we could charge you a lot lesser fee, a lot lower fee, um, because we're getting paid up front for the work that we're actually doing. But I think more importantly than that, the accountability is there. Right. Once a recruiter knows that they have to deliver and that's on their back, what we find is their drive, their motivation mm-hmm. and their willingness to succeed just for the client. Forget the money, just for their client because they don't want to let anyone down. It's okay. far greater than any amount of commission could ever serve. I you raised an interesting point there. So number, question one was, did you, how do you share that close rate with your clients at the moment mm-hmm. regarding the two different types? Yeah. So do you basically say that? Do you market that? That's yeah, one way. Yeah, absolutely. So it's on our websites and so yeah. forth. Okay, so th- they should be really proud of that. Yeah. Then my point would be like, as as I'm going to come halfway with you actually on that. I think, yeah, maybe I overspeak and maybe the industry isn't too ready for that outrageous thing I said about the middle of the market. But if it were the retained gives two things, it gives the consultant commitment. Mm-hmm. They know that this CV makes sense. Then also any good sales managers like why isn't that job covered? This is retained. This is going to mean interview. So it, it, it motivates people in an interesting way, but it's more about commitment, not that the money is sitting on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you're half convincing me, so I'm just thinking out loud there, but I, I would say the proxy for the actual, the PO being paid one third in advance, it gets you commitment. It gets you pressure and focus for management. And also maybe on my side, and I'm not going to speak for Elizabeth, is that I now need to call you back quicker because I'm a, I've already paid for something. Or I need to consider you above mm. others for a variety of reasons. I think, I think the level of accountability it provides is, is the key driver that enables recruitment the recruiters to do an exceptional job. And I think the problem with contingency recruitment um, is that recruiters have zero accountability. It's like the client hasn't paid, 
if I haven't delivered, it doesn't really matter. I can still sleep at night. I guarantee you my recruiters do not sleep until they have a role filled on, continue, on, on retained search. And I think that, 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 that's why the, the results speak, speak for themselves. Um, but yeah, I do. And also, I don't think, I don't think that the retained search has to be a third, a third, a third. It doesn't have to work like that. It can be an amount of commitment enough where the client isn't going to go and use somebody else and then the rest is paid on delivery. Like that, that could work. But all it, work, all it shows from the very beginning is commitment from both parties. And I think more importantly, um, the internal recruiters or the in-house recruiters or the HR team have one throat to choke. And I think that's simply it. It's like, where are my candidates? Where are my candidates? You haven't delivered. I will not use you again. It's as simple as that. I think Rowan, you're very good salesman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got. He's just sent a contract across to you there, Akbar. So, so I, I think you, I think there's a couple of things there, and you said the 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 pressure that your teams and having having done all of this, having sat there, the pressure that your team feels when it's a retained bit of work is immense. That can be the same pressure that in-house feels as well, because they have a lot of things to fill sometimes. You know, some of the teams I've had have multiple roles and lots to fill. And that, that can be a reflection there. So there's a two synergies. Your element about that it doesn't have to be a third and a third. Wow, yeah. You know, we, we start with some rigid pricing models for so long with the way things are, that time now to be innovative and creative. Mm-hmm. And to win some of that retained work, when, when I had my agency and I started doing project work, I was delivering for one client regularly. Then they said they want to pay me for my time. And I started doing something called smart hunting, not head hunting, just changed the terminology of the way we did things and did it on a local and a global scale. But we are paid a quarter upfront and three quarters on delivery. So it was a retainer reward. We were paid a bit for our time. We we're paid more on delivery. There are many ways you can do it. And that's the grown up conversations to have, I think, with your you know with the people out there now with the in-house teams what are the gaps what skills do you bring what will you pay me for this is what we can bring you know and this is the way we can do it you know not everyone's going to be Akbar and Elizabeth not everyone's going to be open to telephone calls and that kind of thing but a lot of people will be so yeah. And I think that's Simon. a really important point is kind of explaining what your approach is and, and how it brings value. Because again, this is a piece, there's, there's also an assumption that people have in-depth knowledge of your industry or what you actually do as an in-house or as an agency recruiter, particularly for people who are an HR generalist in these types of roles, because they don't have, for example, many of them don't have center of expert excellence um, backgrounds. They don't, they don't know it in that depth. So really under, helping them understand what the value is that you bring to the table and how you want to work together and how it is a win-win relationship, that's huge. And that's a big opportunity is use the naivete in the best sense of the word to say, how can we really establish this together and have different conversations around what are those needs? And so that there is a different possibility to have a, a I'm not going to say long-term relationship because I, I understand, but to say, okay, what is that midterm that we can really work together that it makes sense? And it's not just a one-off and it's not just, I feel like I've just been bilged. Yeah. No. I think um, just, just finally on the, on the, um, on the retain part of it, I think it also, um, I, I think, Companies, internal recruiters, in-house recruiters, um, HR, sometimes are too quick to give a brief 
to any contingency recruiter because there is no cost. I think, um, like, like, like you mentioned that part, it's kind of a performance-based service. So it's if you deliver, we'll, uh, we'll pay you the money. That's fine. And so actually, it doesn't matter who you give the brief to. It can go to anybody. If it was retained, I guarantee that every single company, before they engage the recruiter, would do their due diligence on that recruiter. What tools are they using? What access do they have to their marketplace? What, what's their interview approach? What's their diverse range of candidates look like, et cetera? All of a sudden, the cowboys in the market, if you, if, if, if you say there are some, and obviously there are, are weeded out of the industry uh, and, and, and recruitment goes to people that actually can have the ability to deliver. And if they don't deliver, then obviously they're off your books and, and, and you'll find someone else. But I do think that due diligence will be so much better in the industry if we do work to more retain projects. I think, I think the key thing there, you're absolutely right, Ron, is your candidate experience. Yeah. You know, what candidate experience do you give? Might actually be better sometimes than the company gives. It might be worse. At the end of the day, if you're that retained partner, you're representing that brand, you're an additional part, that, that whole journey and experience, that candidate you are now hunting for is, is my in-house, my internal team, you're part of that, you're part of this brand and journey. I, I think I completely agree with you. I mean, agency side, there is a better candidate service and a better understanding of why somebody chooses a specific role than the vast majority of in-house teams. Um, I look at pre-closing techniques when I've, had teams of in-house um, recruiters to agency side and you can see it's night and day in terms of the questioning um, because it has been a required skill has been trained in a certain way you have had to live and die by a quarter and so there are many interesting examples where a good agency recruiter knows a lot more about the candidate and is giving them better candidate experience mm. yeah for sure Okay, um, Jim, what's, what's, what's that? Where we've just tipped over at the moment, we've still got more or less the same number of people that are running from the start. So I'm hoping that's a, a good indication that we're, <laughs> we're saying well, some well, good stuff well, here. Julia um, said, Can we keep it going for another hour? I know, I know we can keep it going for another half an hour. And you know, I will do a shameless plug for the Yar Circle show where, where anyone from any communities are able to join. It's an evening show as well. I can send you links, and we have often these kind of deep conversations of. With, popcorn and drink going on at the same time because it's in the evening. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, where, where, where are we up to? You, what, what do you, where, do you want to take some of the questions, Simon, for some of the people there? Is there anything other than that list? And I can see it going quite crazy here in the background. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've covered most of the questions that have come through um, just by default. Um, there's, um, there, there's one thing here from, um, from Dan, which is an early question. So I don't know whether or not, Dan, it's been answered as, we go th as we've gone through, but it was about um, uh, asking for forgiveness rather than permission um, and thinking that works best when working directly with a senior stakeholder. Um, has anyone got any thoughts on that? Did you want to invite Dan on to, uh, to explain a little bit more about what he um, was thinking there? Yeah, bring Dan on. Bring Dan on to have a chat. That's... That's what it should be. We don't really ask all on the screen. It's not just be me talking. Uh, there we go. Here you go, Dan. You didn't weren't expecting this, were you? Um, hang on a minute. Right, Dan, are you on there? Can you if you unmute yourself? Sorry, mate. I, I um, don't know if I just mis misinterpreted what I'm saying. Now, what was your question? Oh no! Look. By the way, guys, awesome content, and it's been really interesting hearing your views. And look. I've always managed to get into big businesses through, look, relationships, yeah? 
I've opened up one very big business with a relationship that I never placed. I tried to place him, but he just remembered me. And he came back and he said he had to build a whole team. Yes, there's an internal HR, internal recruitment, etc. But the way around it was very much to work with him directly and go in the back door rather than the front door and then deal with the consequences after. I won't say it's the prettiest bit of recruitment I've ever done, but it opened up a whole business and multiple placements. But again, I've always found working, you know, our relationship with HR and internal recruitment started via him, his introduction or my introduction of a candidate he wanted to take on board. And I know that's probably not the, the right protocol, but it's worked on a number of different occasions. From an internal perspective, how is that seen? It's a great question, Dan. He wants to uh, wonder if we get contrasting views on this. Um, Elizabeth? Seen as normal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I do not know it really any other way. I mean, I can't tell you how many times presidents, VPs, plant managers have, you know, come to me with recruiters and saying, hey, they have a great candidate and I want to work together with him. So, you know, um, PSLs, um, irregardless, is, um, back to what Janine was saying, you know, here, what is that relationship that you have? So, yeah, I think asking for forgiveness, absolutely. If, if you're bringing value and if you're actually listening to that leader and what that leader needs and he or she has not found that ability internally, well, then it's a win because we're looking for, you know, what is the talent win and what's that talent impact? So I would say yeah, that, that absolutely But I also found that through that person, I got to know the company and their story from where they wanted to go to, or from where they come from, where they want to go to. Mm -hmm. And I knew the story better than some of the internal stakeholders did. And I always found it wasn't me that let the business down. It was the internal stakeholders interviewing the candidates that I prepped to the hilt. Mm -hmm. I think a story yeah. is, the, is the sellable. Yeah. Is, the, is the selling point for any big business. Mm -hmm. Take him on the journey and understanding that journey has been paramount. And the only reason I understood that was working directly with that, that relationship. Yep. And I've found not to take it away from the internal people on the call is very much <clears throat> sometimes they don't know the, the journey as well as some of the maybe senior stakeholders within the business. Mm -hmm. And that's on us. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are all fair comments. Um, so. I would say your question was like, is forgiveness or permission? So as you can tell, I, I'm a little bit fast and loose. And I, I, yeah, I'm going to call you after this, mate. <laughs> 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 I've been checking you out whilst we've been talking. Know, that's a, that sounds like a promise or a threat. I can't work out. We're not stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> You're the kind of guy I want to work with. Uh, <laughs> no, but. Um, really and truly, I'd say, Yes, if you have just saved me having an hour conversation explaining how hard it is to find this type of person, you found that person and you've closed them in an interview and then you've closed him to try close me or her, that's yeah. okay. I'm not going to get in my feelings about that at all. It would be maybe looking at your client portfolio and going, okay, I'm going to burn a couple of people with this and I might not even know. And mm -hmm. am I okay with that ratio? So um, if you have like, if you have like eight clients for this very niche thing that you do, mm -hmm. maybe you can't do that. Or maybe that will only get you to a certain level of billings or a certain level of team. <clears throat> Understand. Understand. Yeah, ask that question there. But then there's, then there's also what I mentioned about, oh, you might have burned a bridge and not realized is would have been, okay, you've got her in, you're on the PSL, 
but then now somebody in the in-house team is making it their mission to make sure that it's any other agent but yourself uh, agency essentially coming on and i've seen i've seen people from the other side on the agency side and i've seen some of my friends say i got put into a meeting with jeff jeff's talking about this agency i've had to say yes but then cool I, i'm going to make sure that they get feedback last or something petty like that because you're now talking about feelings mm. yeah so boss i'm here can I ask one more question sorry what's the in-house view on innovation so we've worked with some again a number of different clients and trying to kind of think a little bit outside the box when it comes to recruiting for them are you very set in your ways or are you open to innovation how do you mean innovation uh, so an example being is we had a client who wanted to hire a data science team so we we put we, we built a hackathon for them a hackathon to hire and that was kind of new for the business. It was new for, for us at the time, but we did it. We did it quite well, very successfully. We managed to get seven hires out of it. But they also got the team they were looking for, and it kind of expedited the whole recruitment process. It was like a free working interview because they had different members of the team on the panel for the different teams of the hackathon. But it was, a, it was difficult getting it through HR and recruitment to start with. Mm. Yeah. I, I'd say it kind of, it's determined upon the, the company. I, I, you know, for, for me working out of the automotive supplier industry, as well as um, wood-based manufacturing chemicals, they're looking for that. They're looking for that because they know that these are very hard to find talents. They know that they have different options. So how, how positive do you make that candidate experience of even getting introduced to the company um, is seen and perceived very, very well. Whereas, you know, if I look at some of my financial customers, they would be very nervous or hesitant. It, you know, it comes, it, it's about the industry or how open they are to, to alternative ideas. If there's, um, if the customer is aware of how competitive it is, it is for a particular talent niche, they're going to want those innovative ideas because they, they know that maybe they can't compete on salary, but they can can compete on what someone will learn, what will they be able to do, and what relationships they'll be able to have. And if you can convey that in a good way, in an innovative way, I think that a lot of customers who know how hard it is would be very well open to such ideas. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think, uh, I think actually your, uh, the innovation is a great UVP, you mm -hmm. know, your unique yeah. value proposition. Yeah. You know, and bring bring yeah. that to the table. You know, because uh, fundamentally, really, you know, in-house teams are there to do recruitment, but their main job isn't recruitment. Your main job is recruitment, and there is so much tech out there. I sit in that tech space now, and it is massive. There's a huge amount of great tech. There's some awful tech. There's some legacy tech, and it's it's not great. But you can bring come to table with a with a hackathon, or we're using a voice chatbot, or you're doing something different. That's a UVP. That that can add a lot of value, especially to a company that can't afford sometimes some of that tech, or is not innovative. But innovative can be a challenge as well, because sometimes you're doing a hackathon, and that's that's the brand of the company. There are a lot of internal politics. I remember lots of internal politics, which can be the challenge. Not everyone might be Elizabeth, not everyone might be Akbar that's going, yeah, come bring it to the table. You know, there are a lot of other gatekeepers internally I mm -hmm. went through as well. But uh, yeah, I, innovation's 
you know, I think it's a great UVP. Yeah. You're my Akbar. Oh, sorry. My response <laughs> to that would be take, uh, give credit to the in-house team if it goes right, yeah. but then make it super clear that if it doesn't work out, it's, it's on us. And just that, what, that kind of to mm -hmm. and fro where we're, we're taking this risk I, and mm -hmm. I want to be able to, in my performance review, say this is how innovative we were. Um, mm -hmm. Play to that ego, play to that, uh, that, that's, that Harry manager or that in-house team, they've got a boss as well and they want to look good in front of them. So uh, a new idea is cool, it's sexy, it's funny and it gets people promoted. Uh, but no one wants to be holding the bag when it doesn't work out. So it's a double-edged sword. It works out. It works out. Failure is not an option, Akbar. Well. <laughs> it's not an option. We'll put you in your own room in a minute, huh? <laughs> right, I'll step out. Look, thanks, guys. It's been really good. Thank you. Yeah. Good Thank you, Dan. Um, well, look, we'll, we'll, um, we'll come back. We'll come to the. Um, I think everyone's waiting for the brood dog conversation. But before that, we've got. Um, We've got two really good questions. The first one, which I think we, we tapped on uh, or tapped into um, earlier, but just to um, follow up from it, which is why in-house, um, the actual question is, why um, do in-house teams prohibit um, agencies talking to hiring managers directly? Um, so that might not resonate with, um, with you two guys because you might have that slightly more open door policy. But what, what is it? What is the conjecture around um, what agencies always want? You know, those guys to talk directly um, the, with line. Why, why is that not a thing? Hiring managers are novices that have a, about the recruitment process. And it's, uh, it's not that they're not smart enough. It's just it's sometimes it's a matter of time. So um, we've had to get somebody to a certain place to say yes to a recruitment need there's potentially internal stuff like this is why we can see the performance reviews for example of their staff members and or why there is a reason why there is a, a job vacancy in the first place mm. the bum on seat at the end is something that is a larger part of why we're why we're recruiting so um I, i've for example right now there are 34 startups in my portfolio and these founders at different levels of development where there's one who doesn't know how to use an ATS yet. There's another one who's a former recruiter and he's in and out and knows exactly what to do. I've got to be high touch with one, low touch with another. I would love to delegate for one of another, but there's other stuff who's like, we're not there yet. I, I would love to give him the tools and have really sexy conversations regarding the candidate market. That's maybe why I'm conflicted about hiring um, the giving hiring manager access one of the one of the uvps we used to offer was education of hiring managers because i think it is part of the yeah. problem sometimes yeah. so that education piece on whether it's the selection process whether it's how to do interviews whether it's how to ask competency-based questions whether it's unconscious bias training working with um the business on how to educate and how to bring the hiring managers forward and as a consequence, from an agency perspective, building relationships at the same time. Janine, I absolutely love that. There was, I was sat in on a final interview and the hiring manager asked outright in the call, um, well, you have two kids and the role is far from Brighton. Uh, would you be able to come in two, three days a week? <laughs> now, that's a, so that's a massive part where this, 
this hiring manager doesn't deserve candidates until he's going to treat them right. But then if, if we were to see another CV under his nose uh, in the next week, he'll be like, great, I want to interview. I'm like, no, you're literally tearing up your reputation or my reputation here. Yeah. That's a very powerful um, selling point. And talk more about that in your marketing. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah great, Janine. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think the other one is, you know, just kind of go back to what Far said is there's also protectionism, you know, here, if I have to defend my, my KPIs in terms of how many closes I have, um, I'm not going to, I'm going to be that gatekeeper and not want someone to, to go directly to my hiring managers. If it's that transactional, if there's a different kind of approach around how do we see talent placements, it will be different. But I think that that's also that piece to look at what's measured in terms of the KPIs and what is success rates that can also influence how, how open someone is to um, having access to internal hiring managers. I think, as you're saying, guys, is the uh, overall there can be a lot of fear and control. Yeah, you know, control the controlling the, the whole journey and an experience but that comes down to the relationship building as well and having the grown-up conversations no there's a bit more insight talk about the hiring managers are they capable are they able can they do this what help do they need what help can we bring as you say engineering great fantastic yeah and it comes back to the very first question how do you how do we communicate with each other you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, no absolutely yeah um that next question then, mindful of the time, um, where are we? What is it that agencies are doing, um, these agency recruiters, guys? Um, that, I mean, it's probably a twofold. The first question really is, where, where are agencies falling short uh, at, at representing their candidates? What is it that, what's the big thing they're doing that is letting them down? Is there, is there one big thing or is, it, is there a common trend amongst all? Or is it a combo of, uh, of things, do you think? Um, so I used to work for an agency a couple of years ago and then I started this job in January and we was looking through, they'd done a couple of deals with this startup and then the third engineering role came up and then I'm in, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's have a look. When I looked on their website for our startup that they were representing, there was no career page. There was no about us. When I looked at all the notes, it was in, all inconsistent. And I was like, this agency that I used to work for had literally, they gave the CV, got the placement three times. Yeah. Several K got out of a startup's runway. They technically did their job right. The person started, but at no point did the consultant go, this is what I'm hearing from candidates. He had to even like do a whole PDF explaining the proposition of the media startup because it wasn't there on the website. And when he said, okay, can I get put on as a preferred supplier? I was like, no, you, you literally, something that you knew was wrong. You looked right there. You knew it was lacking. You engineered around it for your candidates, but you didn't share that with the hiring manager. You did not make it like a, a genuine consultant in sell. They are exactly at the same point in their recruitment journey now, three times they paid you a PO to when you first met them. That is probably one thing that I found super infuriating, especially because I had that difficult position to now to tell my former bosses why we're not going to be engaging. And then they were rightly going, but we made the placement, but we made the placement. Okay. Would you, would you um, anything to add to that, Elizabeth? Yeah, uh, just very along the very similar vein is um, lazy work. You know, if, 
if I can see that there was really no effort or the follow-up or the follow-through and that the candidates actually had a bad experience together with the agency, that's going to piss me off, you know, in terms of that's, that's where I say that's lazy work by, by an agency because that's, that's, that's where I need you guys. And so this piece around consistency and good work. So everything's begrudging, isn't it? If is what you're saying. So if you end up having to pay something, but it's begrudging, that's never going to develop a relationship anything further than that one-off time, yeah. basically. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. Any, uh, any comments on that, Ryan? Have you seen that? Um, sort of, in, in, not necessarily your business, obviously, but in, in terms of the sector, is that something that you're familiar with? Or is that to me? Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I think to a certain, I think to a certain degree, I think um, you know, when when people stop internally, you know, when when you look at your businesses or other, you hear from other recruitment business owners, um, when, when people stop giving the relevant services because they're not sticking to the basics of what they've always been taught, and I think sometimes people become, they feel like they're too experienced to do the. The, the mm. basics of recruitment and actually it's the basics that provide such a great service like making sure you're getting back to the candidates with with mm. all of their feedback actually qualifying certain aspects from the client so you can pass certain information back onto the candidate and i feel that i feel that sometimes as people go through their recruitment journey they lose those basics which then diminishes mm. the level of service and it's 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 quite ironic really you know that people want to use experienced recruiters and actually sometimes that's where the the, the lack of service can actually start to, to appear. Yep. Agree. Okay, so here we go then. Jim, you can start this. <laughs> brew dog. Oh, brew dog. Wow, well, James. We got, we, we, yeah. we got, we got 10 minutes left, right? And I've got to at least have one minute to wrap it up. So let's, you know, that's, that's all I'm going to say. I'm, gonna, I'm literally, I've chucked you brew dog, Jim, and you can do I, what you want with it. <laughs> What 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 old brew dog I, to to drink it? Um, yeah, but I think that's a misconception, isn't it? And I think that's the, the the whole comment was quite interesting. Was it done to 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 branding? Is is, is that a bit of you know marketing technique, or is that what he really thought? Um, I, I mean, I never managed to catch up. I don't know whether you had the link there to to read over again. I remember reading it myself, going, "Oh, here we go. This is this is going to be." popcorn time that that's the emoji i would like on linkedin at the moment you know when you see one of those threads where you just think right it's not it's not a support not the new logo it's not the love it's not the interesting it's this is this is this is going to kick off here but, but Brewdrug's an interesting one and i think um i have reached out to fiona who's the, the head of people there and said does she want to come on and i don't know whether she's in the background or whether she's listening or whether she registered um but yeah i mean Let's throw it out to, 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 to Janine there. You, did you, sorry, Janine, you're, you're in the typing, I'm throwing you just a, a question. What, what do you think of the Brewdog thing? What, from the agency side, what did you think? Do you think it was a bit tongue in cheek? Do you think he meant it? You know, go, you know, go, go back years ago, I was, I was pushing people's pieces of paper across for, you know, a few grand and just taking them from the machine through to the fax machine. That's how old I am through the fax machine and making money out of it. That's, yeah, that's what we did as agencies, wasn't it? That's what we did. Maybe. It's a piece of paper. Uh, yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think he could do with it. I am joking. <laughs> a PR person generally, to be honest, at the moment. Um, but I think that comment was probably made with a bit of jest, but misplaced. Um, and he, I mean, the fact that he took it down shows that he probably had a bit of a realization of of you know the impact that he made. I do think while it was unjustified, and while the you know 
torrent of comments that followed you know we're all there for a reason i do think we have to have a bit of a look at ourselves as an industry there are you know i'm a marketer right by trade and i think we are really poor at telling people what value we add um and then that leads to that sort of comment now he's a he's a big profile person that should have known better and you know he likes a bit of a polemic anyway but i do think there, there is an opportunity for the industry to pull itself up by its bootstraps through this to show what value it adds to argue its case as rohan has done so eloquently today and to prove that that isn't the case time and time and time again so that the the you know that side of it just goes away or at least starts to quieten um because we can be our own worst enemy sometimes we don't talk about the value we add we talk about you know we talk about how it hard it is to get to hiring managers we talk about we we moan and we complain sometimes instead of talking about the value that we add as an industry the people we put in work the businesses that we help survive and all of those things um as well as the added value around the outside of it so i think we can we can look at ourselves to prove the point a little bit on the reverse side I think you're you're right. I mean, I'm 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 a champion for agencies. I you know been in twenty years. You know, I know the the raft of skills. But I think one thing you said there that that always sits with me is we talk about it as an industry rather than a profession. Yeah. Yeah, it is a profession. It's it's, yeah. it's a, a raft of skills. I mean, look at all the skills that the the new recruiters have, both in house and externally. You, you you know your PR, your marketing. You have to be tech savvy, savvy. You have to be social savvy. You have to have negotiation skills. You have to know when to call someone like Akbar and when to send them a letter or an email. You know, and negotiate. There's so many there that we under it's undervalued. But even that term industry, and that's that's the perception. Elizabeth Akbar, what, what, what were your thoughts from, from the BrewDog post? Did you see it? Did you get it? You know? So I'll definitely let <laughs> We have different breweries here in Germany. <laughs> um, so there's a part of me, I think I agree with Janine, where there is tongue in cheek. Um, we're talking about it now and I'm sure there's a selection of candidates who are thinking about it now that they hadn't before so there's that element to it um, is the recruitment industry a respected industry and a consistent industry I think it's in spots um, in-house and um, agency um, the responses that I saw underneath in terms of comments would have been like Let's, let's turn it less into a flame war and let's, let's, that's when we should show we're the professional. Um, educate how he got it wrong. Spin him round as opposed to like, you're wrong and, and then he says you're wrong and then there's that element to it. Yeah, lo lots of knee-jerk reactions, I think. Um, I think that, just quickly, I've, uh, Ian, uh, Ian wrote his hand as soon as we started the Brewdogs um, situation. So uh, he's, he's now sort of in... Ian, if you can hear us, and the, and the you know the question was relevant to the the brew dog, or if it's not, you're in now. Um, do you want to sort of unmute yourself here and sort of ask a question or say your your, your point? 
Maybe did it by accident. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, maybe he's trying to work it out. I don't know. Um, anyway, we'll leave him there and see when he comes back. Um, yeah, but like I said, there was a lot of knee jerk, wasn't there? And there always is something that, that's provocative and, and, and out there as there is. It's instantly people getting in their feeling of wrath and they're laying out their thoughts. But it was just a very interesting, especially in the build up to this, because it's completely coincidental that it literally did divide, didn't it? There was no. Um, you know, and, and we've done a very good job today, I think. So look at the comments that are coming through from those that have, um, you know, sort of uh, left those comments that we've done a good job and today of looking at it um, really from each other's side of the fence. And that was the entire point, wasn't it? You know, we could easily turn this into what you mentioned at the beginning of the, um, of the session, Jim, you know, uh, a mm -hmm. physical um, discussion in the boxing ring. And to emphasise that point, we generally did look at that. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as a venue and you know me Rohan and you know me Jillian enough to know that I really did look at that yes. as, uh, as a vibe option but that's always going to send it's sending the wrong message from the start isn't it so we didn't quite do that not that we could have done it anyway obviously but um, the, the, the rounded um, conversation that's gone on today is brilliant and I genuinely think that we could have gone on this, this, is, a, this is an all day discussion really isn't it we've got some different bits and pieces um, so mindful of there being a couple of minutes, Jim, do you want to, um, do you want to sort of wrap up the salient details? Yeah, I, I, I think it's great, guys. And I think, you know, this is something I've seen a, a lot of. And there are individuals, you know, Elizabeth and Akbar, thanks for coming on, Janine and, and Ronan. It's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a great chat. You know, we did emphasise at the start, and it, and it does lead in, that, you know, we're, there's a lot of stuff going on social online at the moment. And a lot of these comments and, and James Watts comments, you know, our candidates, all our candidates are out there viewing. All our candidates are watching these kind of comments and the things that everybody says. And I think that's the thing now. It, it's, it is in the public eye very much more than it, than it ever used to be. So, you know, it's really important that we, you know, in this very difficult time, you know, we do start to have honest, grown-up relationships, partnerships together, because there are people who have lost their jobs, lost their livelihoods, and unfortunately they've lost their lives through all of this as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's about uniting uh, for, for me. And it is great to get everyone together in, in, in a virtual room. Maybe we'll do it another another room and, and show that bit of love, that love that's there. And there's a lot of synergies and we're all doing similar, very similar things. So, yeah, for, for me, the roundup is, I, I, I don't think, you know, we all potentially feel like a lot of the things that people talk about, there is a community, but it's grow that community of sharing together and knowledge together for the benefit of the candidates and the people out there that, that need our help, mm -hmm. really, you know. Yeah. Indeed, okay, well, um, with those uh, ending comments, it's, it's down to me to thank you all. Um, so thank you, Rohan, and thank you, Elizabeth, thank you, Janine, um, thank you, Akbar, thank you, Jim, um, very, very much for really truly uh inspirational and uh you know great insight into into building relationships hopefully and um, we're going to go some way to helping some businesses if not all um for those that have taken part today thank you so much guys um uh, for joining us i always like to end with a you know, incredibly positive um spin on any of these webinars we don't take feeds for these we just ask for donations to to our charity which builds communities in in uganda as part of the last night of dj Save my life um, campaign, and this this session raised more than three hundred quid um, for those guys. So, um, 
thank you for guys that, uh, that contributed to that. And thank you guys for not just the content, but allowing people to see the value and to raise the, uh, the, the cash and awareness. Um, wonderful. Jim, thanks for being um, a great host. Um, thank you, panel. And um, we'll leave it there. Have a fantastic rest of the week. And um, see you soon. Thank, thank you. Guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.